You're listening to The Horseman's Mindset, where we meet to discuss horses, mindset, and mental health as it relates to your horsemanship journey. I'm your host, Ashley Purden, and I want to help you to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you want to be with your horse. I'm going to teach you what it is that separates good horsemen from the rest and how you can grow into that role for your horse. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Oh, my goodness. It has been an interesting week. I managed to somehow come down with shingles last week and uh, broke out in like the full rash on my side and Um, was feeling really, really crummy. And I've had like some weird rashes lately since I had COVID this January. So I was really worried about, you know, is this related to the other stuff that's been going on? Is this going to be a long-term health issue? I seem to really struggle just feeling well most of the time, right? Like I just have a lot of things um, that come up in my body that cause me a lot of discomfort, a lot of fatigue, all of those things. And it's just like, oh no, like one step forward, two steps back. I was feeling so much better, really taking care of myself and figuring out my food allergies and all of that. And then shingles happens. So um, my husband, Tim and I had a day off together, which doesn't happen that often right now because he um, is actually a police officer and he has a new canine that is in kind of like the certification process, I guess is what they call it. So they have to do a lot of training to get him and the dog both working together. And then they go through a series of certifications to show that the dog knows how to do his job and that they can work together and get that done. So his hours have been all over the map. I haven't known what he was going to do until about 24 hours before So not a lot of warning, not a lot of heads up, and definitely not a lot of time together lately. So we managed to have a Sunday off together. And I was like, you know what? I have been wanting to go up to this zip lining park in Swope Park up in Kansas City. And I've been wanting to do this with you for like four years. Actually, I bet it's been longer than that. (laughs) Um, But I went with a friend and I really wanted to go and take Tim there. It was so fun. And I'm like, you know what? We're scheduling this. We're going to do this. And I'd been feeling pretty tired like the week before, but I think I talked about that on the last episode, actually, with my bipolar disorder, that can just happen to me from time to time. And it doesn't mean that I'm getting sick, but it feels just the exact same physically as like you would be kind of like your body kind of ramping up to fight off a virus or, or some kind of infection where you're just so tired. So... I just didn't think anything of it. I was like, I'll just, you know, keep doing some fun stuff and push through it. So we scheduled that Saturday to go up to Swope Park and do their um, zip lining course and high ropes course. And that Sunday morning, I, no, actually, let me back up. Sorry. That Saturday night after I had, you know, spent the $120 booking this, um, I go to take a shower and I look at my side and there's this huge rash on my side. And I'm like, what is that? You know, and immediately I'm thinking anaphylaxis because that's what happened to me last time I had a giant rash on me. I couldn't breathe about 20 minutes later and I thought I was going to die. So, you know, like my brain's racing. I'm like, is this an EpiPen time? Is this a hospital time? Is this a completely unrelated thing? Is this something to do with my COVID rash? Like what, what is this? And So I take some Benadryl and it seems like maybe it got a little better, but I was able to go to sleep. I didn't sleep great that night. I will tell you, because I kept like waking up and making sure I was still breathing, which I know makes absolutely no sense, (laughs) but that's what I was doing. And so I get up in the morning and I just feel like crap. I mean, like crap, but we have this zip lining thing booked. It's like 11 in the morning. I'm thinking, okay, I'll cancel the rest of my plans for the day, but I'm at least going to go do the thing that I paid for. Like we paid to go do this. We're doing it. So we go. And by the time we get up there, my symptoms are like flu-like symptoms, like really shaky, weak, dizzy, achy, 
a little bit of vertigo in there, which is really awesome when you're navigating a ropes course and zip lining down stuff and hanging upside down and sideways and spinning. And it was really good. <laughs> so I'm like trying to suck it up and which I'm not good at. Like I just like, if I'm not feeling good, I'm just out. Like I just do not like trying to push through stuff, especially when it's supposed to be something fun like this. I've been looking forward to it forever. And so we get through four of the five like stations of obstacles and like the last one I like zipped down. Like it was kind of a more horizontal zip line that you like zipped across and like pulled yourself the rest of the way up. And I almost got stuck in the middle. I was so weak. I was so nauseous. I was so like, everything was spinning. I felt so sick. And I was like, I normally don't have this trouble with stuff like this, but I was like, okay, Tim, like we got down to the ground on that second to last like series. And I'm like, we're done now. Like, thank you so much for doing this with me. I know I've been begging you to do this with me for years and we finally do it. And I feel like crap. I want to go to the doctor. So it's like a Sunday afternoon. We bail on the last obstacle set and we head to urgent care. And we get into the see the urgent care lady. And I've been in urgent care enough, but like the doctor there that's there on weekends, like knows me now. So she's like, oh no, like what's going on this time? And so I get in there and I show her like the rash that was going on, tell her all of my symptoms. And she's like, her eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they start running all these tests and they do blood work and they did like a urine sample and they find some stuff that's not quite right. Like I'm fighting an infection or something, but not sure what that's about. Not sure if it's related to the rash. She doesn't really know what to do. She's like, I don't know if I should put you on an antibiotic, on a steroid, give you a cream. Like, I don't know what this is. It's like, doesn't look like anything I've seen before, which is like classic Ashley problem. Like, great. Stump all the doctors. Let's do that. That's just my favorite thing. So she gives me this cream to put on it. And I'm trying to remember if she gave me like an oral steroid or something. No, she gave me just cream to put on it. And I go home, try it out. It lights me on fire. <laughs> and I'm like, not going to try that again. It hurts so bad. Like I was like, the rash itself didn't really burn that bad until she gave me that cream. And then it was like on fire. So I'm having like, at this point I'm having like nerve pain and I'm having this pain that's like shooting up my back into my eyeball and my right eye. And I'm having this joint pain and my knees, like everything's running so bad. And I started thinking about these symptoms and I'm like, you know, I have a cousin that has lupus. Like, I wonder if that's what this could be. That would kind of explain like why I'm sick all the time. Like why I have, you know, like some of this stuff. So the crazy thing was that without me even saying that in the doctor's office, she started throwing around lupus and I was like, oh no, like this is going to be like this whole thing. So I told her, I'm like, just do like the preliminary autoimmune blood work so that I can just get this out of my head and we can just move on or we can deal with it if that's what it is. So she did. So we got, you know, that blood work going. All this stuff takes like a week to get back. So the next morning I'm feeling really, really bad still. Um, nothing that she suggested to me is really helping. I'm feeling worse. And so I get an appointment with my primary care doctor. She was awesome. Got me in that day. And I go in and her nurse takes one look at my rash, which has gotten like super, super angry looking by this point. And she about falls over. She's like, what? How long has that been there? I'm like, well, not very long. Like been since Saturday. It just popped up out of nowhere. And so my primary care doctor comes in and she's like, I think we should test you for lupus. I was like, well, the urgent care doctor already beat you to that. She's like, I don't know what else this could be. Like, this is some weird skin stuff you got going on and really weird, um, you know, like other symptoms. And so I'm like, okay, you know, so I'm like, just getting more and more discouraged. I'm like, you know, I've really got my business going the way I want it to right now. I've gotten so much good FaceTime with my clients lately. I've been able to ride my training horses. I've got Hannah, um, my assistant now. Help. Like I just, everything had been going my way for like six weeks. It's never for super long. Like we'll look back and like see like these little short spurts of like really good energy that I've had before I just don't feel good again, whether it's bipolar or just some other thing that trips me up. But it's like, I feel like I'm constantly having to 
stop, rest, and start over again. And it's just super frustrating. So I'm realizing that I'm just going to have to press pause on all my projects for the week and probably not going to work very much and just kind of ride this out, see what is going on. And I'm trying not to let my mind spiral because I don't know how long this is going to go on for, right? I don't know if it's just going to be a week. I don't know if it's going to be three weeks. I don't know if this is going to be like the rest of my life I'm going to be dealing with this crap. I mean, that's just where your brain goes, right? When all of a sudden your body just shuts down on you like this. So thankfully, my primary care doctor referred me to the dermatologist and I get in there and she was super funny. I bring in like my stack of blood work stuff that's come back, which I mean, not a lot of the results were back yet, but I had a few. And she starts looking at them and she's like, they were really looking for things, weren't they? I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is like really concerning all of this. And she's like, let me see your rash. And she looks at it, takes one look and she's like, honey, you have shingles. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) like she was just like so certain that that's like for sure what it was. She's like, I'm going to prescribe you an antiviral. You keep taking your steroids and I'll give you a different steroid cream and you could probably get rid of that other rash too that's been bothering you for five months that nobody could figure out before. So the moral of the story is when you have something going wrong with your skin, go see your dermatologist. Don't mess around with everyone else. Just straight to the dermatologist. They know what they're doing. That is their area of expertise. She was amazing. Got me all fixed up. By the next morning after just taking one antiviral pill, I was already feeling much better. So we're now like day, let's see, nine into this. And I'm not quite done with all my medicine yet, but holy cow, guys, I'm getting my energy back. My mental clarity is coming back. I feel so much better. And most importantly, I'm getting my optimism back because I feel good again. And I'm realizing that now that my blood works come back in, I don't have an autoimmune disorder, which I'm so thankful for. I know a lot of people struggle with those and they're really, really, really hard. Um, but yeah, so I like could never have been more thankful in my life to end up getting diagnosed with shingles, which still was like, it hurt a lot. Like it, that, the nerve pain with the shingles was a deal. So I just think I've had a lot of life stuff the last, oh, who's counting? Like 10 months. I think a lot of people have. I don't know what it is about like us kind of coming out of COVID and it seems like a lot of people have had health issues. We've had a lot of family stuff going on, just a lot of really weird, bad circumstances with friends. And I just feel like that just the stress of all the change and all the turmoil and all the hurt and fear and anger and, you know, just all of just the sadness, just the just raw, just raw human stuff that we've been going through and I have been personally touched by over the last year, I think it just caught up with me. And um, shingles, I guess, is a virus that just lives in your body after you have chicken pox, which I did have as a kid. So it just kind of lays latent until you get stressed enough that it pops out. So here I thought I was doing really good and I wasn't stressed out, but that's kind of me too. I always have like a delayed reaction to stress. So This is like my body being like, oh, everything's going to be okay now. You've had a good six weeks. Now we're going to get sick. So that's what I did. And yeah, it's been exciting. So I basically slept for an entire week. I did manage to go to work that Thursday uh, briefly. It was not my best work. I will definitely say it was, oh, it was awful. I just like, all I thought about the whole time I was there was my bed and getting back home. And then Friday, I went on a trail ride. I decided I'm not even going to try to go work training horses. I just went on a trail ride with some friends. And that was, again, like about all I had in me that day. And then Saturday, I had a clinic to teach. So yay. (laughs) But it ended up being awesome. We were up at Sitter Downs in Lone Jack, Missouri. And I had kind of a general horsemanship clinic. I think I advertised it as... Western performance and ranch riding, but you just never know. Like it was a lot of new people that I haven't worked with before. And so you never know what your group is really going to be like, but it was a really great group of ladies. Everyone was very receptive, paid attention, at least tried everything that I was showing them. The horses were really receptive and it was a lot of fun. I felt like we got um, a lot of stuff done and as far as I was concerned, I was just thrilled that I was apparently making sense, even though I still wasn't feeling great yet, and that I had enough energy to get me through the day. 
So I decided for that clinic at the very last minute, because I, again, wasn't sure how I'd be feeling. I decided to haul my horse Sedona up and the horse I had leased from Cindy Townsend, Johnny. And I hauled them up there and Cindy was able to jump in and do the morning part of the clinic on Johnny last minute, which that was kind of fun. And I was able to get a really good training day in on Sedona. Now, I have to be clear about this. I do not appreciate it when trainers put a clinic on and ride their horse the entire day and ignore their students. I have seen this happen before. I think it's wildly inappropriate. But there is something to be said for being on a horse when you're instructing. I think that can be really helpful for people because then I can actually show them like what I'm after especially for things that maybe aren't as common. Like if you've got something that you do specifically in your program or your trainer does that it's just not something that you see everywhere. Sometimes it's easier to have that visual of watching it be executed. So I absolutely did not want to take away from everyone else's experience at the clinic by me having to train my own horse. So I knew I was going to have to show up early because Sedona's pretty green still in new environments. I have her really where I want her at home. She's super dependable. I can have other people ride her at home. My husband's been riding her. I've got a client that's even been taking some lessons on her. She's wonderful at home, solid. I know what kind of horse I have. I take her out of that environment. I have a completely different horse. And that's just part of the training process. I think people get really frustrated with that and maybe blindsided by that with their horses. And it's just really common. That's how that's how every horse is until they're well-traveled and they learn how to settle into lots of different situations. So she's still learning about the new barn thing and not as confident in indoor arenas as she is outside. And this was in an indoor. So I showed up early and I rode her around and I'm so glad I was early because I ended up um, jogging and loping her for probably a half an hour before the clinic started. And she was still not extremely settled at that point. So it took the other horses coming into the arena with her and me spending a little bit more time just kind of talking and teaching off of her before she really settled. But it was such a good day. Like I was just really, really glad that I took her. And I did get some feedback from some of the participants that it was really helpful for me to go ahead and do an exercise first on her and demonstrate it before I had everyone else do it. And I have to say, from a teaching perspective, I felt like it was easier. I wasn't having to like re-explain myself so often um, like I do sometimes. So that was wonderful. And so while I was at the clinic, I had a couple of little inspiration points, I guess, come up um, that I thought would be good to talk about in this podcast today. And... One of them was realizing, working with some students that were new to me, how much the typical average amateur rider second guesses themselves when they're trying to teach their horse something new or try something new for the first time. It it was really interesting to watch. It made me realize how self-confident my students have gotten, which I am so proud of. I had a lesson with uh, one of my regulars today. She was doing a groundwork lesson and she's been one that's really second guessed herself a lot and is really starting to become more confident and clear in her communication with her horse. And I made the comment to her today. I was like, right or wrong, be sure. Like, just be sure. Ask and don't question whether it was the right thing to do right at that moment. You can take a step back and assess that later after you get like the full outcome. But like right now, just pick something, ask for it and do it. And it was just funny how, you know, those things just kind of start clicking for people. Well, I really had to talk about that some at the clinic this weekend because we had one exercise where I was teaching the horses the very first baby concept of stretching their top line out. And my favorite way to do that is to get a cone. I like to have maybe several different cones scattered around the arena, different sizes. So maybe a bigger one to start this exercise to get the concept across the horse and then a smaller one to get like a bigger stretch. And you walk your horse up to the cone and then you ask them to stop and you pick your hands 
kind of up and forward and just make a really light contact on the bit. This is the hardest part for people. It's really hard to only just barely pick up on the bit. Everyone wants to pull. And most people, when they pull, they want to pull down. And I just need like this little tiny lift up. And while you're lifting up, if you do nothing with your legs, your horse should back up. Um, but, you know, some of our horses become desensitized to our cues over time just because we haven't been reinforcing what we want or we're not been sure about what we wanted. So just lifting and then a little support with the lower leg, which is everything below the knee, with just a little wave in a neutral leg position. So like if my legs were hanging between my front and my back cinch front somewhere, not too far forward, not too far back. And as soon as the horse reaches down towards the cone at all, you quit moving your leg and you give them a loose rein, which is another thing that is really hard too for people, especially if there's confidence issues, like safety confidence issues. It's hard for people to turn loose of their horses. So we worked on this exercise and what I noticed, first of all, this is something that only the horses that had been in lessons with me or clinics with me before, which is only just a couple ladies, knew how to do this exercise. Every one of the other horses, it was really obvious that this was a totally foreign concept to them. And there were a couple horses that got really upset about it because they were maybe older, um, had some other things trained into them where they got confused and thought that that set of cues meant something else. Um, some of the horses just went straight to evading it and did a lot of sideways and backwards. And what I noticed was the tendency in the group was to, as soon as the horse started doing the wrong thing, the rider would change their cue. And this is like the worst thing that you can possibly do when you are trying to teach your horse something new is for you to, in that moment, after you have chosen a cue set, so we've chosen this cue set of sitting up nice and tall, lifting our hands, and adding just a little leg wave with our lower leg, and that is our cue. That That's it. We can't then go, oh, my horse is going sideways, so now my cue is going to be I'm going to pull down, or now my cue is going to be I'm going to pull really hard with my left rein, or now my cue is going to be I'm going to kick with this leg, or now my cue is going to be nothing. Maybe I'm just going to release everything because this isn't what I want. Remember that whatever your horse did, the millisecond before you took the pressure away is the behavior you are rewarding. So now you have that thrown into the mix, right? So let's say you asked your horse to lower their head using that cue set and they went backwards and you relaxed your leg and put your hand down because you're trying to keep them from going backwards. Well, yes, that maybe will get them to stop, but it's never going to get them to the point that they're making the connection between the cue set that you have chosen and the desired behavior of lowering their head and stretching their top line. They will never in a million years figure that out if you're not reinforcing it. So instead of becoming kind of this moving target to our horses and losing our clarity, we need to really boil it back down to what is my cue set? How can I get back to my cue set? How can I stay focused on what it is that I'm asking for? And it was really neat to be able to kind of stop the group and show them on Sedona because she gets a little frustrated sometimes. Even though she knows this, it was a new environment. She had extra stress that she normally doesn't have at home, right? So asking for this particular exercise in a little bit of a stressful environment is much harder because I'm asking her to adopt a posture of relaxation when she may not be relaxed at the moment. And I'm not pulling her head down. I'm not forcing it down. There's a cue. Like I'm trying to get her to reach down and like just gently push into the bit a little. And... It's just a very different, it's a different feel to it than trying to force your horse's head down, which is like a completely separate topic anyway. But the whole goal is for them to soften their underline and lengthen out their top line. It's a great warm-up exercise. And it can be done at a standstill. It can be done at a walk, jog, lope if your horse is really balanced. Do not try that at a lope if your horse is not super balanced. But there's just, there's a lot of things you can do with it, but it was neat to stop the group and just say, Hey, don't be a moving target for your horse. Make sure that you 
choose your cue set and you stick with your cue set. So I demonstrated on Sedona and she was being a little fussy. Every horse kind of has a go-to evasion when they don't understand something or they get frustrated. And hers is she flips her head up and down, like this really obnoxious head tossing, like rolling her eyes, tossing her head, just like, I don't like this. I don't know what this is. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to throw my head around. And like I said, some of the other horses were backing, some of them were side passing, some of them were just walking off and ignoring their riders completely. And so I was able to stop and use Sedona and I would pick my hands up. I would sit up nice and tall, pick my hands up, wave my lower leg a little bit, and she'd throw her head everywhere. And then I would just wait. I would just keep the exact same amount of pressure as I could. I mean, hard, right? When they're flinging their head. It's very hard to keep consistent feel on their mouth when all that's going on, but I did the best I could, had my hands follow her as best as they possibly could, waved my lower legs, and just camped out and waited. So then after the head tossing didn't work, what did she try next? She tried side passing. So she started side passing. And so all I did was I just tried to keep her facing the cone. So we ended up side passing like a whole circle around the cone at one point, which, you know, is not what I want, but it's at least still in the vicinity of the area that I was asking for. And I still have my cue on, right? I'm still asking her to lower her head. I've not stopped asking for this the whole time. And then she decides she wants to back up. That one's a little tricky. If I release my hands down now when she backs up, that's taking the pressure away and telling her that backing up was the right thing to do. So instead, I keep my little tiny, I mean, again, it's like the tiniest little feel on her mouth. It is not enough to ask her to be collected. It is not enough to pick her head up. It's just enough for her to notice the weight that the bit has changed in her mouth. And I slide my legs from neutral to um, back by my back cinch, which is where I install a go forward button on my horses. I like to do it that way so they don't get confused about stuff like this. And I use my lower legs as much as necessary at my back cinch until she steps up to the cone again. Then I put my legs back in neutral. I'm still waving. I'm still holding a consistent feel on her mouth. And voila, we get back up to the cone. She drops her head. I release my legs and my hands at the same time and just sit there. And she kind of walks off. (laughs) Okay. So it's not, it's not great. Not great. But again, new environment. It was a wonderful illustration for everyone at the clinic to see because a lot of their horses were doing similar things. So then we went back, kind of just looped her back around, tried not to get in a fight with her. I don't want to just pull on her and cause a whole nother argument to ensue, right? So I just kind of loop back around, find my cone again, set her up, ask her again. She does it the first time. As soon as I pick my hands up, sit up nice and tall, pick my hands up, wave my lower leg in a neutral position, she drops her head, puts her nose right on the cone. And I release, and we sit there, and that time she's comfortable enough that she can just stand there. Whew, that's a lot going on, right? Like, it's hard to have that kind of timing. It's hard to have that kind of patience. But I think the hardest part of it is not second-guessing yourself. So many times when our horses question us, we then are like, oh, we must not be asking right. I must not be sitting up straight. I must be a little off to the left. I must be. And it's good to ask yourself those questions, but not in the moment when you're in the middle of a discussion with your horse. That's when you just need to boil it back down to the basic cue set, diagnose that, make sure you're doing that right, and then just camp out and wait them out. And remember, whatever behavior they were giving you, the second, like the millisecond before you release the pressure is what they are going to think was correct. And that's just an honest thing. Like they do not plot and plan against us. Like we all say they do. They don't. They are just responding to our timing, our feel, how we make them feel. Are they comfortable? Are they uncomfortable? That's how they navigate all these conversations with us. So it's so important that we don't become a moving target in a conversation to where they're like, oh, well, that meant that yesterday, but today that means something else. And tomorrow it's going to mean something different again. I mean, how are they ever supposed to understand you if we're moving around that much on them on how we're using our cues and what we're asking for? So I don't know. I just thought it was a really good point to bring up. Like I said, it's not something that happens quite so much with my regular students um, anymore. It does come up from time to time. 
but it's just not something that's quite as much coming up anymore. But it was really interesting to work with some newer people and be like, oh yeah, I remember this. When I started with all the students that I have, this is what we did. Like we had to really talk about this. And I just think it's something that we all can be reminded of. It's just, it's a great little reminder. It was good for me too. We all can be more clear in our writing, including trainers. So there was that. And then the back side of that kind of same discussion is that your horse, what they are seeking and wishing for and wanting more than anything else in all of their interactions with you especially riding, is to feel comfortable. They are seeking, your horse is seeking out peace, okay? And I think that's something that as riders, we have to be really conscious of, whether we're kind of that taskmaster personality and we're like, you have 23 other hours in the day to do something. I get this one hour. You're going to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this is what we're going to do. And it's going to be all this stuff. And we're going to get everything done all in one session. Or if you're that person that is maybe unconfident and you have a really busy seat, you've got busy legs, you've got busy hands because you feel like this need to manage everything all the time. Neither one of those things is giving your horse any kind of peace in the riding interaction. And it's so important that they feel that just kind of like, like, oh, everything's okay. That's my goal with my horses. I want to be the rider that when I get on them, they take like a sigh of relief, like that they actually feel better going around when I'm riding them because I can help them balance more. I can help them use themselves correctly. I actually want to make them feel good in that riding interaction. I want them to be feel better, more balanced. Um, more athletic, just like all the things. I want them to feel better there in the riding interaction than they do just by themselves. And I want it to kind of be this like, kind of this combination between training and um, exercise and fitness and, um, and getting them stronger, but also getting them more limber and flexible and have a better range of motion and all this stuff. I want all of that to go together. And also, I want them to learn how to self-regulate their nervous systems throughout this interaction too. So like all of the stuff, the physical, the mental, the emotional, is all packaged up into this interaction we have with them. And when we can't turn loose of our reins and relax our legs and relax our seat on our horse, if we never do that the whole time we're riding them, no wonder our horses are stressed out and anxious. And then it creates this like vicious cycle, right? Because our horses are stressed and anxious. Now they're going to be more spooky. Now they're going to be more reactive. Now we're going to be more reactive. Now we're going to be more grabby. Now we're going to be less balanced. Now we're going to be perched forward. Now we're going to be like in predator mode on their back. And we're just proving them right that they do need to be fearful of this interaction with us. And, and so that was another thing that we worked on a lot was Hey, when your horse gives you something you like, give them a loose rein, trust them a little bit. I know it's so hard, especially for those of you who've had a wreck recently, or you're trying to rebuild your confidence on this horse. And uh, we had some of those, we had some ladies there that had had a really bad horse wreck, you know, last year, and they're coming back from that. And that lives on in your nervous system as well. This is not something that just goes away because somebody tells you that it's going to be okay this time or you're on a different horse. Like you might know like in your brain that you're probably going to be fine, like in your frontal lobe, right? But there's this part of you that doesn't trust that because that's the same brain that put you in the situation last time when you got blindsided and you were thrown off and you broke your pelvis or, you know, whatever it was. I mean, there were some wild stories that I heard about this weekend. And that's, that's a trauma that lives on inside your body and is going to be re-triggered every time you get an adrenaline dump. So anytime your horse spooks, anytime you lope, anytime you jump, anytime you turn loose of your reins, anytime your horse sticks their head up in the air, anytime your horse spins around, I mean, like whatever the behavior is that reminds your body of that injury it's all going to come up again and it's going to cause us to do all of the wrong things with our body language that then causes our horse to feel uncomfortable at the very least, um, if not really unconfident in us. 
and our leadership. So it's really important, even if you're only able to do this at a walk, that you give your horse a nice loose rein after they've done something good and you just give them some peace where you're just not really asking them for anything. You're not trying to fix anything. You're not trying to manage anything. You're just letting them just be for a second. They will never be able to completely relax if you're holding them all the time. And again, I know that's so hard because for us as predators, we think, oh, we hold it tighter. We're going to be safer. And I'm not telling you to go from like your reins being four inches long to, you know, hanging on the ground tomorrow. That's something that you progressively work up towards. You want to loosen them incrementally, but that needs to be a goal that you get to where you can be on a loose rein and your horse can experience that. And you know what that does to them physically too, right? When we ride with really short reins and we keep their heads lifted up in the air, what muscles are we developing? We are developing their underlying muscles and not in a good way, right? That's where we get those big bulgy um, muscles underneath their neck. That's where we get those big pectoral muscles. It's where we'll get big hollow spots behind our saddles. So it's interesting. I really feel like if I was able to see each of the horses at that clinic before they were saddled, which I saw some of them afterwards, we did some mobilization exercises and stuff toward the end of the day. And I did some saddle fit at the beginning, but I didn't really look at the horses with no saddles on. We were kind of trying to get everyone going and um, get everyone on that morning. But I feel like if I was able to look at them before I saw the riders ride, I could have pretty much told which horses had confident balanced riders and which ones didn't. Now, some of that would have been a little confusing because they may have just had a saddle on that didn't fit very well and their rider was fine, um, which we addressed some of that. But there were some horses that you could really tell were the ones that were being held, like that their riders were trying to hold them together. And they did. They had like this musculature about them that was different from the other ones where they'd gotten some hollow spots in certain areas and some overdeveloped places and others. So I think that's something to pay attention to as well to really assess your horse's posture. I think it's a great idea to take a picture of your horse's posture from each side, from the front, from the back. My favorite ones is if you get up on a mounting block, have somebody else hold your horse and you get a picture of the horse from directly behind. So you can kind of see over the back from the tail head and you can see if there's any crookedness in the horse, document it and look at it so that you're able to tell over time as you're doing different riding exercises and changing your programs up, make sure that your horse isn't um, developing in a negative way. Make sure they're heading in the right direction. So I love doing photos once a month of my horses so that I can look back and see have they gained weight, have they lost weight, are they putting muscle in the right places? Are they looking like I'm holding them too much? Do I need to do more stretching with them? Do I need to do more mobilizing with them? It just it's such great feedback. And then stuff doesn't sneak up on you so much. And you want to talk about injury prevention too, right? If we allow our horses to ride around really hollow and we allow ourselves to constantly hold our horses all the time and be unbalanced on them and not learn how to relax and trust them and um, work with them in a way that they can relax too. If we allow all that to go on for too long, we're going to start developing some really serious compensating posture, which then can lead to injuries. So super important to pay attention to your horse's posture and their muscle tone and all of that. But anyway, so that was my giant soapbox about the clinic this weekend. It was a great time, really great group of ladies. I feel like I was able to kind of give each one of them kind of a glimpse into what could be with their horses, which sometimes that's just what you need. You need someone that has had the experience to have the imagination of what these horses could look like, to be able to see their potential, and then kind of guide you toward that a little bit. And that can be a really exciting, you know, first glimpse to get where you think, oh, this is just all I have with this horse. And then you realize, no, there's so much more. There's so much more that this horse could do so much more that we could do. We've just been stuck on this little plateau for a while. And now we're going to start going about making some changes and some positive changes and seeing even if the horse is older, it doesn't matter. They can still make massive uh, behavioral and physical changes as well. So 
it was really fun. I really enjoyed going up and doing that. Glad I toughed it out and uh, didn't reschedule it, even though I, I did have the shingles. But, but yeah, so that was really great. And then today, actually, no, I take that back yesterday. So it's, I know like none of this is really going to matter by the time I air this podcast because all the days will be mixed up because it'll be like a week after I have um, recorded it. But anyway, so, okay, clinic was Saturday. Sunday, I ran down to the barn, EC, or Cross Creek Riding Club. We're kind of like in between a name change right now. Um, Ran down there and just wanted to excuse me, wanted to touch base with each one of my training horses and mess with them a little bit. So I was able to ride them all yesterday. And then last night I came home and I did a little massage session on Sedona. She'd had, you know, big long trail ride Friday, big clinic day Saturday. So I was expecting her to have some soreness Sunday, which she did. And I had this whole epiphany, which I'm so excited about, and I'm not I'm going to share this very generally because I am such a baby with all this terminology still right now with the equine massage and where all the horse's muscles are and the biomechanics behind it and why things do what they do, but it was super cool. I have to share it anyway, again, super generally, but I'm going to share it because I had this epiphany of how to get her to loosen up her shoulders which is a real tight spot for her. And frankly, it's a tight spot for a lot of horses. It was so awesome. So I had her, she was um, eating out of a feed pan on the ground and I was just kind of palpating her and messing around while she was eating. And I noticed this spot that's been a trouble spot for her. It's on the very bottom side of the brachiocephalicus muscle that you can still feel. That's basically gonna be running down from I'm not going to say origins and insertions because I don't know them well enough, but like the location of it is coming from the backside of her jaw down kind of the bottom third of her neck on one side and attaching, um, or no, sorry, I'm not going to say attaching. And then you can feel it kind of go in behind the deltoid muscle kind of, it, there's a lot of stuff that ties in down there, but so she's got two of those, every horse has two of those, one on each side that runs down. And at that very bottom part, like as it goes into her shoulder, there's always been like this big, like tight lump there. Um, and it's even, it's on both muscles on one on each side. And I have done a few different things to try to soften that up as I've been experimenting around with learning all this equine massage, but nothing's really like made a dramatic difference yet. So I'm messing around and seeing if I can find the pocket behind her deltoid muscle, which is sitting. There's two muscles that are deep to that, that actually tie onto the scapula, but this one's kind of sitting up on top and I'm seeing if I can get in there. And I mean, she's just so stiff. Like there's just no getting in there at all, like none at all. And so I'm like, Hmm, instead of like trying to muscle my way in there, which is kind of my MO. (laughs) It's like, oh, there's a knot. Let's like dig it out. No, don't want to do that. It's not good for my hands. It's not good for the horses. It's not really helpful for their nervous system, nothing. So instead I start thinking, I'm like, okay, what other things could loosen this shoulder up? So I did some mobilization exercises that Rhonda had showed me with her front legs and I'm doing circles with her legs. Again, I'm not going to really describe any of this because it'd be impossible over a podcast anyway, but I do, I'm just doing her left front legs, all I'm working on. And I do circles. I do some mobilization stuff. I do some stretches and I set that leg back down, back down on the ground. And I go to check out that's that groove behind her deltoid muscle again. And guess what? It has softened up tremendously. So now I'm able to kind of get in there and work out some of the tension that's gotten in there. And then I figured out after I did that for a minute that it would make sense that there's another muscle that actually connects to the backside of her hyoid bone, which I can influence by working, doing some mouth work on her. And I went ahead and did that. And that all ties in kind of in the same general area. And it actually 
also helps to raise her front leg and extend it out in front, which was like when I did that stretch, it was really hard for her. And so I did some mouth work. I got that to soften up. I went back and checked her range of motion with that same front leg again. It was astronomically better, guys. I did like five minutes of manual therapy on her. Then I went back, rechecked that groove behind her deltoid muscle, and I could get all the way down in there to some of the deeper muscles and was able to really loosen that area up. It was incredible. So this was like a huge light bulb and it was later, it was probably like 10 o'clock last night. So I didn't ride her afterwards, obviously, which is like, that's the best part about learning equine massage and being a horse trainer is that you can then go ride after your work and you know immediately if it was better or not. So I didn't ride her, but I kept this in the back of my mind because she had a bunch of yawns, big eye roll releases, um, lots of licking and chewing. And I could just tell like watching her eat after I did this, that she was able to reach her neck down. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this. She was able to allow her nuchal ligament, which is the ligament that sits right under her mane, to drop down between her scapula while she was eating. And before that, it was kind of like all balled up and tense in that area too. Like she just couldn't, didn't quite have that full extension of her neck going on. So I was like, holy smokes. Like I just did five minutes of manual therapy and my horse already looks vastly more comfortable than she was before. I wonder what this would feel like from a riding perspective, right? So like now the wheels are turning. So I get home and I'm like, looking up all my diagrams, trying to figure out like how all this stuff fits together, why this worked so well. And I'm like, I gotta try this on my training horses tomorrow. So this morning rolls around and I get out to EC and I did, who did I do first? I did this on a couple of horses. Oh, I did Holly first. She's one of my long-term training horses. And Holly has been quite a physical challenge. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, when she came to us, we ended up having a suspensory lameness on her, um, shortly after she, her owners bought her and it was just kind of this whole thing. She's been like an unending rehab project and her owners have done so much. We've got special farrier who makes custom shoes for her. That was really a huge piece of the puzzle. She gets chiropractic. That was a huge piece of the puzzle. We changed vets who was floating her. Um, so for her dentals, that was a whole overhaul. That was a huge piece of the puzzle. I mean, we've just been putting this horse back together piece by piece by piece. We've had Rhonda work on her. That's always wonderful. Um, but she's definitely one of those that I feel like just getting body work every six weeks, which is a lot, right? Having like a formal body work session every six weeks doesn't always just completely do it for her. She kind of needs like her she's had these physical patterns drilled into her for so long through compensation that she kind of needs reminded like how to hold herself and how to release tension um, on a more regular basis, which is the whole point of why I'm trying to learn all this body work so that my training horses have access to that as needed. So I start messing around with all the stuff that I previously described that I did with Sedona and I'm running into the same things, whole line of tension down her shoulder super, super sticky. This mare too, she like, you can really tell when she's gets tense and frustrated. Like she does a lot of head flipping as well, kind of similar to Sedona when she gets frustrated. Um, but there's like a lot of anxiety that goes behind it. So we've linked that to physical discomfort. We've been like really sure that's what that's about. She's also had this issue where on the left lead, when we're loping, she's been much, much more unbalanced than her right lead. And, um, so, you know, like just kind of just some stuff that I've never completely been able to work out. So I do um, the leg circles. I do the massage on her shoulder. I do the mouth work. I do both sides. I do two sets on each side. I was doing groundwork with her too. We were working on the dreaded water box. So every time she had a break, I was doing um, the manual therapy on her. And so then I go, I'm like, you know what? I want to ride her. I know I already worked her for like half an hour, but it certainly wasn't an intensive session. 
I'm going to go ride her. I want to see what she rides like after I do this. I get on her. Guys, I had the best ride on that mare I have ever had in my like two or three years of riding this horse. It was unbelievable. And I just feel like I'm really onto something with this. It was so exciting. So not only was she able to stretch her top line down and ride around comfortably with her nose on the ground. And again, I'm not, there's no side reins. There's no draw reins. There's no like me, like forcing horses heads down. Like I'm teaching them to actually elongate and stretch their top lines out. Um, in my warm up process, she was able to walk. She was able to bend left, do small circles, big circles, bend right, small circles, big circles with her nose down on the ground, full extension of her top line. Um, she was able to do that walk and at a jog. And I was just like, she was like butter in my hands. Usually this mare is pretty sticky on the reins. And there's been some days like within the last couple of weeks that I've gotten on her and I'm just like, gosh, like every time I pick up my hands, she's just like so resistant. And my previous life as a horse trainer, which I feel like I'm quickly evolving out of, um, I would have thought, you know, meet that brace with more pressure like pressure them through the brace. That's kind of what I'd always been taught, which seems so backwards to me now. Like how on earth can we get true suppleness, which is basically the absence of tension? How on earth do we get a horse to let go of their tension by putting more tension into them? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. So instead of having to go to my spurs or go to my hands more, or use a dressage whip or, you know, any of the things I would have done to kind of escalate the situation and make her uncomfortable for leaning on me. None of that was necessary. She was not leaning on me to start with because why? Because I had been able to get in and remove a physical barrier that was causing her to not be able to do these exercises correctly. Oh my gosh. Amazing. And then I went and loped her icing on the cake. She loped off both directions. The best lope departures I have gotten her to do to date and her lope to the left was so soft and so quiet and so balanced and so relaxed. And she was able to drop her head and neck down, which normally she kind of runs around with her head up in the air and is fast. I mean, it was just like beautiful. She was blowing out. It's the best ride. I was like, oh my gosh, I did 10 minutes of manual therapy on this horse before I got on her. And she's giving me more in one session than I've gotten out of her, you know, obviously it's not like things were like completely bad before I did this. It's been incremental progress, but this was like a huge leap of progress for one session. It was the coolest. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to try this on all my other horses. So I tried it on my dad's horse, Cinco, which kind of gets a restriction in that same area. Now I'm like, really questioning myself. I'm like, okay, so why are all my horses stuck in the same spot? Is this just like a spot that's really common? Um, which I think it is, but it also makes me wonder if like partly how I've been riding in the past has caused some of this. So I'm definitely holding some space for that to be a possibility that I can go back and, and evaluate that as well. Um, but regardless, I think it's really important as we learn and evolve that we just remember that we do the best we can with the information that we had at the time. So I don't really go back and beat myself up for how I used to do things. It does make me cringe a little bit um, on some of the stuff, especially when I used to have problem horses. And I realize now that most of those problem behaviors were probably physical in origin. And I just didn't know when I was trying to treat it completely as behavioral. But again, I was doing the best I could with the information that I had at the time. And now I have more information and better information. And the best I can do now is so much better than the best I used to be able to do. And it was just, it was such a cool day. Like my horses were just like melty. They were all just so melty. And, um, I, I think I did this on like four of my training horses today and every single one of them rode so much better and were able to stretch and be so much more supple and they were more symmetrical left and right. And I was trying to be really strategic too, because, you know, my time's really valuable. Like, I don't have enough time to spend 20 minutes body working each horse before I go ride it. 
Um, cause I still got to factor in like my 10, 15, 20 minutes of walking that needs to get done. I still need to make sure they're getting, you know, enough loping circles. I need to make sure that anything specific that needs to be addressed with that horse is getting done. If they need to go on the trail, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't have three hours for every single horse I work every day. So some of them, I was only doing this on one side. I was just choosing the stickier side and I was working on that and holy smokes, did it make a difference? Just open everything up. The horses were so much more receptive, more able to do what I was asking to do so much more relaxed and just better. Like their posture was better. Their execution of maneuvers was better. It was the coolest. So I'm just so excited. I mean, this was like the whole point of me pursuing an equine massage certification and starting to understand the biomechanics of the horses better was so that I could do a better job really getting down to the root cause of why a horse is struggling with a concept and then being able to properly see it. You know, that's the first thing. If you can't see it, you can't do anything about it. See it, understand why it's happening, and then know exactly the right thing to go in there and do to fix it quickly. I was just like, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought five minutes of manual therapy would make a difference like that. Oh my gosh. So now when I do groundwork with my horses, I'm starting to add in some massage therapy, some mobility stuff, some ground pull stuff, you know, like just add it all into the program, just make it all part of the training experience and part of my warm up. And then I can ride, you know, that really good warm up that's been done. And wow, it's made a tremendous difference. So I'm so excited. I feel like I'm at the very beginning stages of this. I just feel like a little baby kindergartner in this world of um, equine anatomy and biomechanics and massage and manual therapies. But I can't, I couldn't be more excited about the, the direction that all this is headed. And of course, this is exciting for all of you guys, because as I really get my head around this, I'm going to be able to start teaching it. And then you guys can be more strategic in how you are working with your horses as well and be able to help them along the process too. So, oh, it's just so exciting. And this whole concept of how to create a supple horse and coming at it from this completely different direction is really exciting to me because it's always just felt kind of icky that we try to gain suppleness through putting so much pressure and tension into the horse. And your horse might get off your hands and get off your legs when you ride them that way, but are they truly using their whole bodies and their top lines correctly when they're doing that? Or are they compensating with the muscle groups that just fire more easily and become activated more easily? Are they really using themselves as well as they could be? And I would say no, I would say they're probably not. I would say they're definitely trying to figure out how to compensate to stay away from the pressure. So we still use pressure and release to teach our horses, but I think um, once we get to a certain level of pressure on something, we need to start asking ourselves, you know, why are we having to put this much pressure on our horse? Is there a better way to go about this? Is there a physical block going on? Or if you feel like you're having the same arguments with your horse over and over again, like what is going on there? Again, you can go back to, am I being clear? Am I being a moving target with my cues? Am I confusing my horse in that way? Or does my horse have some kind of physical block that's happening? Um, some equipment issue, you know, like start really diagnosing, like where, where is this tension coming from? Where is this confusion coming from? And not just assuming that it's the horse being belligerent or not wanting to do it. It's my experience that horses really want to do what we're asking them to do. And when they start having trouble, that's just feedback that we're not doing well enough um, in the process of educating them to help them understand. And not only to be able to help them understand, but to help them actually be able to execute the task that we're asking for, which is really what my experience was today. I'm making it easier for the horse to do the right thing. They may have been wanting to do it. They may have been trying to do it, but there was that level of anxiety behind there because they couldn't quite do it. Or when they did it, it was hard or uncomfortable or it hurt or whatever. And now I was able to make it comfortable for them. How nice is that? So anyway, I just wanted to share all that. Thank you guys so much for joining me on my long rambling episode today. I'm going to end this episode with a quote from Winston Churchill. Success is going from failure to failure without 
losing enthusiasm. I'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. If you are enjoying my podcast, please visit pioneerhorsemanship.com where you will find the training tips and mindset coaching that I use every day to help my students and myself develop the mental, emotional, and physical skills that we need to become better for our horses. I'll see you there.